America, my name is Amir Said from Pong. I come to you live. I come to you live. I'm just looking at the sound, making sure nothing's happening. Hey, can you hear me okay? I see some funny dial-ins on my dial-ins, and I want to make sure I'm not coming in too hot. Too hot for you. But I do come to you live every Thursday about this time, and... Oh, good. My sound is just fine. All right. So I do come to you live every Thursday about this time. And we're going to talk a little bit about Roe. Talk a little bit about how election frauds have consequences because there's this famous, famous uh, saying that elections have consequences. And I'm telling you, election frauds have consequences, too. And uh, we're also going to talk about the Amazon contract because that is actually the most important kind of effort, the, not just the union election, it's the Amazon contract, and I'll explain the logic of why that's the case a little bit later. All right, so the first thing, let's talk about Roe. Roe! All right, so something was leaked. It looks like they're gonna, going to finally turn back Roe v. Wade and then let the states pretty much, if you're in the South, ban abortion everywhere because you know what? That's what the whites want to do, and I say the whites want to do because that's who's actually pushing this. Look, um, people try to make this about men and women and men shouldn't tell women what to do, but this isn't a man thing. Like Roe wouldn't be repealed if this isn't what white women want. But so, so American politics is about white women having, um, being on both sides of the issue. They're the biggest voting bloc in the nation. When they are on both sides of the issue, that makes it a political issue. When they are on the both sides of abortion. If it were up to black people, like it would just be pro-choice. Some people might like not want you to have a choice, or, or like, some people not might not want you to indulge in a choice. But black women are pro-abortion. Um, black men are the second largest pro-choice um, demographic in the nation because, let's be honest, black men are not in the business of telling women what to do. Despite whatever you heard in your women's studies class, black men aren't like we're not for that. <laughs> we're not about that. That's like that. That's just not us. So um, you know, there was a 15-week uh, bill. You know, the bill that they're talking about, and in the Supreme Court, was uh, originated in Mississippi, and in Mississippi, it was struck down by a black male judge. So, like, you had this white woman who proposed the bill, white guy governor who signed the bill, the old white lady governor. Um, signed the last previous bill, but um, a white guy who signed the bill and the bill was kicked down by a black guy. But black guys never get credit. But, you know, black guys, a black guy, a federal judge out of Mississippi is the guy who, who get, got rid of the, by the name of Clark, uh, Clark something. Um, yeah, he got rid of the bill in Mississippi. And that's the reason why it had to go up to the Supreme Court and, it, and, and the law just didn't stay in Mississippi. So, you know, black guys holding it down for, you know, women uh, to choose whether they have an abortion. And so we should not get paid for that. I am not. I am, I'm pro-choice because, I, like I said, I'm not the huge fan of telling women what to do. I think the my body, my rules or my body, my choice argument is a bad one, especially considering after two years, are we just pretty much forcing people to get vaccinated? I think you should get vaccinated, but like, yeah, I think I should have some sort of say about what you do with your body, right? So like, it's not that big of a deal. And um, I think it's actually, that argument is the most 
gripping for a class of, of, of white women who's actually rather coddled <laughs> to the physical labor it takes to actually do this nation. Um, uh, you know, I took my first sports physical when I was in high school to play sports. Like I'm, I'm used to submitting my body to things because it's not like, that's not, that's not how it works. My body, like it should all go through a political process, but this this idea that like, I should be able to choose whatever happens to my body. Who lives like that? If that were the case, no one would be plumber where you put your bodies in like feces all day or you or a roofer where you're in hot and in, in, uh, in heat all day. So or pick things. So it's never going to be as simple as my body, my rule. What we could talk about is forced labor and how uh, forcing someone to bring a baby to term is forced labor, like literally labor. And we're against forced labor. Or you could talk about how it's functionally criminalizing the poor. And how do I, what do you mean? I mean, it's functionally criminalizing the poor. Well, what happens is the rich women are going to get their abortions when they want to get their abortions. They're going to fly to wherever they need to fly to to get them. And so what you're really instituting is a poor tax. A poor tax for the women who can't like you know take off work and hop on a plane and go and get the abortion and come back right so it's kind of like prohibition what you're doing is actually um instituting like disproportionately punishing uh poor people and prohibition sucks it creates criminals and we don't want to create criminals out of people whose only crime is they didn't have enough money to fly to california to get an abortion right um so uh, so that's, that's a good argument. I think actually the most interesting argument you're not going to hear because nobody actually talks in terms of family is that it's forced family. You're forcing an immediate relationship. You're forcing an immediate, um, responsibility onto someone. And that is huge, right? You know, the same reason that you don't want your significant other to give you a pet for your anniversary because they give you a pet, but you have to like take care of the pet. You don't want to have to do that. Imagine that sort of antipathy times 10,000. And that's what it's like to force someone to have a kid. And you can say like, well, you know, you can alienate that, that immediate connection you have with your child by adoption agencies. So that's not that big of a deal, but that's kind of a lazy solution to the problem of forcing someone to have an, forcing someone to have a family member <laughs> like, that they then have to take care of because they can't help but love them. Right? So you're forcing family and that is a form of, it would be the equivalent of a forced marriage. And we don't do that here, right? So we don't force people to get married. We don't force people to have families. Um, and like, we don't force people to have kids. So I think the forced family argument is actually a better one, um, but you'd actually have to have a robust, like a better as in like, a, there's, there's more logical sense than like, but you'd have to have a better family discourse about the quality of freedoms and responsibilities that come with um, family membership. And I think there are peculiar ones that we should talk about, but, um, the liberals want to talk in terms of my body, my rules. And honestly, I think it's just a power grab for um, elite women anyway, because they don't give a damn about poor. They wanted poor women to have better, more choice. They wouldn't say it's an anti-poverty measure. And what do, I, what do I mean that they wouldn't say it's an anti-poverty measure? Here's a study I saw. It turns out that financial hardship accounts for the <laughs> over 50% of abortions. Over 50% of abortions happen because of financial hardship. And that is barbaric. We are barbarians, if that's the case. Because that's not about choice. That's, um, that's you're just coerced by your circumstances. You're too poor to have a child or a second child because most people who have an abortion already have a kid, but they can't afford another one. Um, and you're, they're coerced by circumstances. That's not appropriately pro-life. And that's not even appropriately pro-freedom. 
That's like this worst, that's a horrible choice. That's a choice of giving a vegetarian a choice between chicken, beef, and steak. Like they can't actually uh, have a choice and remain who they are, become who they are, realize who they are, right? So if you're giving people abortion as an anti-poverty program, you should be ashamed of yourself and you're a barbarian and you're a problem, right? Um, so it's not an anti-poverty. We need actual anti-poverty programs. We need to make the world, the United States, a place where people can have kids. <laughs> and it, and 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 without paying a tax for having kids, right? Everything you, everything meaningful you should do without a family, you should be able to do with children. Like that's how we need to think about it. As in everything meaningful you can do without voting, you should be able to do and also vote, right? That's why we should have polling places, please. Like so, this idea that you get taxed for having a child is a kind of degradation of our freedom. So we need the quality of childcare policies. We need the quality, quality of employment policy and job policies that actually take this seriously and takes this into account. Um, yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I, I think, I think we should do. And like, if you think of abortion as an anti-poverty program, that's really about we're a barbaric nation, right? And Rosa Luxemburg, and if, you know, a guy wrote a book about this about 20 years ago, said that you could either go through an advanced economy, you could either go through socialism, or you can go to barbarism. And I think we might be going to barbarism. Right? I'm not a fan of that. I want real anti-poverty programs. And, you know, I don't mind, um, uh, you know, women having the right to, you know, have a medical procedure. But I do not like that as a form of an anti-poverty program. I think that's degradation. I think that's degradation. We just normalize quality of degradation because those rich women do not care about the poor people. They do it as a power grab. That's why they couch this as men against women. When it's not really men against women, it's white people against other white people, and oh, it's it's <laughs> it's white pro-life people against everybody else, including white pro-choice people. Um, and, you know, Latinos are, you know, are plus and minus because a lot of them are Catholic. But in general, like, this is uh, the whites fighting other whites and everybody else. Um, and we need, we need to deal with the whites. And, you know, for a while I've been, I've been telling people, like, look, unless you take the white family seriously, unless you take the white religion seriously, you're not going to get all the fancy, nice little programs you want. That's what I said. I've told anybody who asked that, but they don't listen to me. And what happens? The white family and the white religion went and took away your abortion. I told you, the white family and the white religion is going to be a problem. We have to go. We have to uh, have an intervention about how the whites think about their life, about how they think about their family and how they think about their religion. And unless we have that intervention, they will just keep kind of keep using that to sacralize all sorts of horrendous policies. So, um, good. So, now let's talk about how elections have, uh, another saying that, uh, another saying runs that elections have consequences. Understand that elections have consequences. That's what people tell you after they vote for something, uh, some candidate that, you didn't like, and then that candidate you didn't like does something you don't like. Elections have consequences. And you know what else has election has consequences? Electoral fraud, right? So I'm one of those people, and I think if you're watching this, you might be one of those people too, who remembers 2016 and who remembers Iowa and who suspects that Bernie won Iowa. I know I have people on the ground who I trust tell me that Bernie won Iowa. 
And I think Bernie won Iowa in 2016. Yeah. And I think the Democratic Party threw it to Hillary Clinton because they thought it was her turn, right? The Bernie blackout. Everyone remembers that where we can't talk about him. I always say, or say nice things about him or say competent things about him on, on any sort of news program. Um, it turns out that that guy wouldn't have lost Wisconsin, right? So we sent up the only person in America who would have lost to Trump to go lose to Trump because it was her turn. And I hope you thought that was very feminist of you. I hope, you, I hope your pantsuit was worth it. I hope your pantsuit was worth it. Wearing your pantsuit on election day to vote for your woman president. I hope it was worth it. Because elections have consequences and election fraud have consequences. And I will tell you right now, it's a little bit horrifying uh, to seeing, seeing some of these Democrats who actually don't have any respect for democratic processes. Like, they don't care. They think, well, you know, the Republicans do it, so we have to be just as bad as they do. So they will cheat. I do not trust company Democrats counting votes alone in a room. I do not trust them because they're crooks. <laughs> they'll wear their little pantsuit, get in a room, and they will stuff all of the ballots. Like, they're crooks, and they'll, they'll just, like, give themselves an excuse legitimizing why they should be crooks. So, yeah, so I think the DNC threw Hillary Clinton the election, and then election frauds have consequences. You deserve it, in a way. Um, unfortunately, those consequences, like all consequences in America, will disproportionately affect black people. But, you know, elections have consequences, and election frauds have consequences, and you should have sent up <laughs> you shouldn't have cheated Bernie. Like you shouldn't have. Like the party should have ran an honest primary, and uh, Hillary Clinton would have. Like I don't know. All right. So election frauds have consequences. Roe should not ever be considered an anti-poverty program. We should have real anti-poverty programs <laughs> concerning wages and maybe childcare stipends and uh, a suite of issues that would actually support families. And then we would have a real choice. And then also, let me talk now about the Amazon election. ALU, I'm a fan of Amazon Labor Union. I think Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer are doing great work over there. I under, But I don't think elections are where unions get their dignity, right? Unions are about negotiating the contract and the contract and getting leverage on the contract. And it begins and ends with a contract, right? The election is, the election's like the betrothal. <laughs> but the, the deal isn't sealed until like you get down the line, right? So what weddings are to marriage, contracts are to like union organizing, and elections are to political organizing. So what weddings are to marriage, contracts are to union organizing, and elections are to um, political organizing. So what the betrothal or the uh, affianced or the, the announcement is to a marriage is what the union election is to uh, union organizing and what the candidate announcement is to the political process, the electoral process, right? Um, the election process. So we need to not get too excited about a promise ring. <laughs> we need to get not too excited about 
um, the, the wrong stage in this development because the real leverage is going to come at the contract negotiation, right? And so we need to think, people, and think with me and, 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 and let it be known that whatever sort of leverage can be applied to Amazon to get Amazon to the table um, should be applied, and that's what we should be holding accountable for. I actually think it's a political issue. I think we should be asking all major politicians, so what are you going to do to make sure that Amazon signs a contract? It's the second largest employer in the nation. It's got a million employees. One out of every 160 people <laughs> um, work for Amazon, or 69 people. Uh, so we have to understand that it is a political issue in and of itself. So you could ask, like, it's on the level of clean water and stuff. Like, what are you going to do to make sure Amazon signs a contract? Because, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to really improve the, the life of working people in America, that's, that's what you got to do, right? That and, long, and make sure black people get reparations, be made whole, right? So there are lots of ways to fight the GOP. Voting for Democrats might not be one of them. You got to fight the culture war. You got to fight... The culture war goes all the way up through labor, right? It just stops at the ballot box. Um, fighting for Democrats might not be the best way to stop the GOP. You have to undermine the GOP kind of cultural um, uh, sensibility in America because we're a center-right nation. We're a nation that doesn't want justice for workers or a nation that doesn't want um, justice for black people. We want, we want things kind of as they are, with the standing degradations um, for workers and black people. And um, if you want to upset that, you have to go at the cultural formation of, you know, the way white people think about their families and the way they think about their churches and the way they think about their religion and the way they think about property and the way they think about jobs. You have to go at the culture. And you go through the culture through cultural mechanisms, media, through schools. That's why I say vote for school boards. Send this video around. You don't just uh, do it by electing Democrats because you elect Democrats. And then what happens is that they capitulate to the same cultural <laughs> um, uh, uh, underpinning that all the other company Democrats um, uh, capitulate to. And you get exactly what we get, which is like crappy worker relations and injustice for black people. And actually, in some places, we're talking about an internal colony. Black people live in an internal colony. And like we get to vote every now and then on overseers. Every now and then we get a black overseer. But we're living in an internal colony because um, assets are not disposed or dispersed throughout the community in any meaningful way. And by the way, if you want to disperse some assets this way, I could appreciate it. Go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month because I'm giving you the quality of of insight that I don't know if you get anywhere else, except maybe Donald Glover's Atlanta. I think he's doing good work in Donald Glover's Atlanta. Um, I, I think these, I think that's coming. Right? So, uh, so I'm actually proud of, and by the way, if people are from Donald Glover's Atlanta are watching this, you should invite me on your writing team. I'll do it. I might even do it pro bono. I might even do it pro bono. It depends on how I read the room. Um, because I think you're doing a great work, and I think I can help you even make it a little bit better. Um, but 
If you appreciate what I'm doing, go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50. And I will keep doing what I'm doing. But the best way to fight the GOP might not be for voting for Democrats. The best way to fight the GOP is to undermine and throw your time and treasure and your energy um, to undermining like the cultural formation of awful white people. I mean, yeah, we, but they happen to share institutions with us that are kind of publicly accountable. So that means we need to take over our, their institutions. We need to take over our institutions, right? Our schools, um, our media, um, our Democratic Party, right? Because the Democratic Party only like subsists because of black people. So we just need to, we need to take over the cultural institutions and control the narratives that goes into, like, we need liberation theology instead of evangelical Christianity, because evangelical Christianity, as it stands, tells white people that they deserve everything they get. It's the manifest destiny. It's a Christianity that wiped out the Indians, right? So um, it's a Christianity that, that undergirded colonialism. So we need liberation theology that said that Negro from Nazareth died on the cross for us. He died on the cross for the poor. So, like, um, liberation theology, we need, like, new cultural institutions. We can't get rid of cultural institutions because cultural institutions teach us how to be free. But we need to change the cultural institutions. We need to reform and revolutionize the cultural institutions as they stand. We need to revolutionize marriage. We need to revolutionize church. We need to revolutionize schools. And if we change and actually attack those cultural underpinnings that are very comfortable degrading black people, then we will actually change the politics that will go downstream from a better America. And thank you for your time. I'm going to let you go now because uh, my kids got home and I love spending time with my kids. We got a soccer game today and, you know, got to do the music lessons and all that stuff. And I will see you next week with something different. I want to talk about risk again and how there's some things you, uh, you have to take on your own. Uh, thank you for your time. And forever, uh, yeah, I appreciate you.